Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 27 of the Six Pixels Under podcast. I am Nerd Slayer, your host, who's trying to fix his mic in the middle of his intro. Um, but yeah, so the, uh, welcome to Six Pixels Under, everybody, episode 27. We don't have a whole lot of topics to uh, talk about in regards to just current gaming news because I didn't find a whole lot that I was really interested into, so I figured... We could do uh, a little bit of that, the MMOs and the Go segment, because we do have some interesting topics to talk about there. Maybe I'll find uh, one or two rants along the way, and then we can end the podcast with uh, primarily focusing on call-ins and questions from you guys. So this one will probably have less of me going on about a particular subject that I've picked out and more of you guys kind of leading me somewhere. I don't know. I just it, there, it, there wasn't really a whole lot of um, <clears throat> interesting... Uh, news topics that I really wanted to cover. I guess the ones that have already been covered aren't really as interesting to me um, because of that. Let me change this on the fly really quickly because uh, we're doing it live, right? Oh, thank you for the resub, um, Full of Dark and Card. I appreciate that, by the way. We need to get you a proper XLR mice. Uh, also, bonus points for the plant side too. Yeah, so... <laughs> for those who are watching and for those who aren't, I guess I can explain it for you. I wore this shirt today because I got this shirt back when I went to um, PAX, I think 2011 or something. It was a long time ago. Now it's like seven, eight years. And uh, Planetside 2 wasn't really out yet. And so I remember I played it on the floor and they uh, they gave me this um, mic. Okay, I, I see what you're saying, Card, and I agree. I totally agree with that. Uh, anyway, so I got this shirt and... I, it's weird because like growing up, you know, we moved a lot. I probably moved like 20 times as a kid. And so I lost a lot of stuff in storage and, you know, I didn't really keep a lot of things. But kind of later in my life, like 2010, 2011, when I was like getting out of high school, I weirdly would like still have things that I had back then, like shorts that don't fit me. And in this case, this cool Planet Side 2 shirt, which um, I figured I'd wear it because you can see it quite uh, apparent. And Limpos must not be here. Because uh, he, he would have said something before Card, I would have thought. Anyway, uh, so for this week's uh, podcast, we've got a pretty interesting topic that I saw <clears throat> sort of related to what we've already been discussing in regards to Artifact. And um, <clears throat> yeah, so Artifacts. Turns out that uh, Steam, or Valve in this case, is not giving up on Artifacts. They recently put out a, uh, I guess you would say like a news release, kind of like a uh, an update of sorts titled Towards a Better Artifact. When we launched Artifact, we expected it would be the beginning of a long journey, that it would lay the foundation for years to come. Our plan was to immediately dive into our normal strategy of shipping a series of updates driven by dialogue community members were having with each other and us. Obviously, these things didn't turn out as we hoped, blah, blah, blah. Artifact now represents an opportunity for us to improve our craft. Yay. I'm not really sure what that's supposed to mean. Since launch, we've been looking carefully at how players interact with the game. It has become their, sorry, it has become clear that there are deep-rooted issues with the game, and our original update strategy of releasing new features and cards would be insufficient to address them. Righty. So what does this mean, he says. Moving forward, we will be heads down, focusing on addressing these larger issues instead of shipping updates. While we expect this process of experimentation and development to take a significant amount of time, we're excited to tackle this challenge and get back to you as soon as we are ready. So no timeline. We don't even know exactly what they're going to do, but it looks like already so early in the life of Artifact, 
they're already going for a reboot or a reset button of sorts. The only companies who can get away with this are pretty much companies that have a lot of money. I mean, you think about the Coaling tried this and failed epically. Like other games have tried this and failed epically, but the only ones who can really pull it off are the ones that can really pay the kind of money or at least have the humility to admit that they've made mistakes. And you might be asking like, what do you mean by, what do, we, what do you mean by having the humility? So I made a video, uh, a life of the game, which sorry, I know I haven't made as many of those, but that's because sadly, as I've mentioned before, um, it, my Death of a Game series is way more popular. So <laughs> in order for me to build a new series, I need to have enough of something kind of coming in. By the way, if you're wondering why I'm wearing this, uh, it's because uh, my secret watch. But uh, it, th this is because my kind of hurting from a combination of doing pull-ups and probably punching. Also, uh, playing lots of games. I've been playing a lot of Halo lately, but we'll talk about that later. Anyway, back back to talking about artifacts here. Uh, the reason why I brought up the life of the game thing is um, I did one on Final Fantasy XIV. And everyone knows about A Realm Reborn, where they basically killed their previous world, made it part of the lore and the story, and then re had a new world completely created that basically was different than the game, right? It was completely different. So they... Uh, they fixed and changed a lot of aspects. And that was the first time that we've really seen an MMO do a very, very successful reboot of, of that, you know, magnitude. Now, since then, we've seen ESO made a comeback as well with their Tamriel Unlimited um, patch that they did or update, if you want to call it that. Um, we've seen, weirdly enough, Wildstar for a while made a bit of a comeback, um, though it didn't keep for very long. Very, very few MMOs make comebacks and uh, card games are, I would probably say, even more unforgiving because you think about a card game, a TCG, a CCG, whatever you card game you'd like to think of in your head. Um, I'm thinking card games because I just recently did my Kickstarter MMO report card like a uh, script that I told you guys that I've been working on. I finally finished it, so I just need to go through and edit a little bit. And uh, I was covering a particular game, which many of you probably have never heard of. X, or It's called Hex Shards of Fate. And it's a damn good card game, but it's just basically forgotten. It was the first attempt at an MMO TCG, and I'd love to do a death of the game on it, but it's unfortunately a little bit too obscure, but uh, a very interesting story. And I bring that up because with TCGs and CCGs, they're very unforgiving if you're not able to be successful right away. And the reason is, is because you're asking a lot from people. Think about it. Like, so different business models offer or ask for certain things whenever you get involved with them. Like, say, for example, golf. Golf can actually be rather expensive. Now, I don't play golf, so I don't know the exact figures, but give or take to constantly go to a, um, you know, a golf club and rent clubs if you don't have them or buy clubs, uh, pay somebody to kind of carry your clubs or your, your clubs and ride you around in those little like um, buggy things. It costs money, right? And so golf can be an expensive hobby. And so people who get involved in golf are typically people who have a little bit more money, right? And so the reason why I bring this up is to, to draw the analogy to video games here. With a TCG and a CCG, you're paying for packs because you need them in order to get more cards. Um, you're hoping that you get free cards given to you through playing the game and grinding, right? Um, you use whatever dust or points you have to maybe upgrade certain cards or or use that currency to buy from other people. So basically the entire time you're trying to deck build. That's the whole point of these games is get more cards so you can try more decks and more variety and um, maybe even more legendaries if you like to really collect, right? 
So there's a lot of aspects that go into it. And you think about like a game like uh, Magic the Gathering. People who are basically not involved in TCGs at all or card games, period, will often say shit that I can immediately spot that they've never played a card game before. They'll say, well, how is a um, how is a booster pack different than a uh, loot box? And it's like, well, I can think of like 60 billion reasons why it's different. One, you're keeping the value because you actually own the cards. Two, you can trade it, right, for whatever its value is worth or for a better card. And three, nobody buys booster packs to make their decks. <laughs> so can we can we not make these absurd arguments about the whole TCGs being carbon copy? You know, it's not the it's not the same thing is what I'm trying to say. TCGs, the majority of people are going to just buy the cards straight out. Like any MTG player in chat knows that. You just buy the cards, you buy the deck from like a bot or a website or or you know, from your local store. You don't you don't buy booster packs to make your decks. I mean, that was like back in the 90s and the 2000s and shit. Anyway, I'm trying to establish the point that it does cost some money to get involved into TCG. It does. In the same way that it costs a lot of money to get involved into miniatures, even if you paint them yourself. So the point is, is that these things ask more of their community uh, in regards to monetary things. So whenever they're not doing well, like population wise, and maybe the game has like some big errors in it, like maybe it's not um, welcoming enough to new players. Maybe it doesn't offer you enough incentive or ability to earn cars for free, which is important for people. Obviously, they don't want to keep feeling like they have to buy more because then more decks are coming out, more modules or more uh, waves or whatever you would like to call them. Um, are coming out making older cards obsolete making your cards in some kind of way lose value now it doesn't ultimately work that way because an mtg old cards can still have a lot of value right because it's more so based on the rarity and a bunch of other factors i'm not going to go too much into that i look like i should be talking about mtg by the way based on how i'm dressed <laughs> anyway to return it to uh to return it to um artifacts here the point is, is I'm, I'm eager to see what they can do because I always like to see whenever a developer goes back to the drawing and says, okay, what do we do wrong here? How can, I mean, because think about it. It's like, that's the step before the death of the game. The step before the death of a game is one last hurrah to try and fix it all. And um, it's like, I, I don't want the game to fail just so I can cover it. I'd love to cover it because it made a comeback as well. Like there, there's also underdog stories to be told. Rainbow Six comes to mind um, as a big underdog story. Uh, th there's a lot of underdog stories that are interesting to tell as well. It's not just all about death and doom and gloom, but we'll see. We'll see. I don't really know what to think about it. They didn't give us basically any details, so there's no reason to believe that they will fix it, right? It's, it's probably irrational to think that, but we can certainly believe that they're going to try. And uh, I mean, recent reviews, 15%. The mixed uh, overall out of 16K reviews is 49. <laughs> and there's basically, you know, not a whole lot of people playing it. Uh, let's see. So the last peak of their players concurrently was 311, which is not a whole lot. Um, now other things to further strengthen the argument I was making earlier is kind of like when the game has a big competitive focus as well, it, it's not going to thrive with a small player base. I mean, Guild Wars 2, Guild Wars 2 esports, I, I don't even know if you guys knew that it was, a thing, but uh, Guild Wars 2, you know, everyone knows Guild Wars 2 at this point, but it tried to do uh, PVP 
and make it esports. And Guild Wars 1 had a lot of uh, esports competitions in it, but it was never really made to be esports. It just kind of like became that way. With Guild Wars 2, they, they actively pushed it. But one thing I noticed really early on being involved in that community was like when the player base started shrinking, it felt like you were basically playing against the same players. And for some people, you know, uh, for us who grew up playing LAN, we like playing against the same players because you recognize them, right? You can teabag them, you can shit talk or, you know, say, hey, buddy, hey, what's going on? You know, maybe they're on your team again. Like you add them to your friends list. Like that, that's kind of how it was like uh, playing online. But then LAN was like, if if you if you if you're playing with your friends, I mean, you all know your friends. So it's like you you see your friend, you're like, oh damn it, you got me. You know, you did this to me, or you you know, like you you know your friends when you're playing land, uh, land. Sorry, <laughs> a little bit of a sidetrack there. Hey, what's up, Ludens? Where is Limp Boss? I'm not sure. <laughs> no clue. Hey, Carlo Luca, nice to see you. I'm glad you got the stream uh, live this time. Yeah, usually I let it go. A little bit longer um on the startup screen but i started a little bit late today so let me actually um advertise myself so just <laughs> so you guys know and, and and i never hear you guys hold this against me which is what i love about you guys as a community um and i'm not just saying that because you're my community <laughs> uh but i love you guys because when it comes to like expectations of what i can do you guys are pretty pretty um lax like you're not very hard and you're very understanding that basically i'm doing this by myself <laughs> so it's kind of hard to have the crazy production value and and uh all that other stuff whenever i'm trying to do it all at the same time but i uh i, I anyway so i just wanted to point that out that i enjoy that you guys are pretty reasonable in that respect i mean at this point, you guys aren't my YouTube audience who's going to say, uh, why don't you just do more Death of the Games? And it's like, take a long time. <laughs> anyway, uh, what, what else did we have to talk about today? Like I said, not a whole lot of general topics to get into. Uh, let's see. All right, so The Outer Worlds recently released uh, some gameplay. I think it's like... Uh, I think there was... I guess it is just 20 minutes. So they released 20 minutes of gameplay from a demo walkthrough that they did at PAX East, um, which is just recently happened or is happening right now, I believe. Um, I think they have a Monday at PAX as well. I wish I was there. Sorry. I love going to live events. And now every time I go, I'm going to have to dress up like this. So <laughs> it also just becomes a bit fun, like, almost like you're role playing to some extent. Uh, I, I mean, I went to, to I don't, I, you guys haven't seen the footage yet, but whenever I went to PAX Unplugged, I was walking from table to table dressed like a detective, <laughs> playing like tabletop games and, and, uh, different card games and shit like that with people. Anyway, it was just a funny thing. But as you walk around, as we, we walk. All right. So I'm not going to play the sound here. Cause I, I swear my videos always get flagged whenever I play sound. But yeah, so this is the first real gameplay I've seen. I know some other people have seen uh, some gameplay. The, the first things I'll notice here from watching the gameplay, I'm a little afraid with how clunky the movement looks. And I don't know if the guy is just panning his camera like this on purpose or something, but does anyone else get weird vibes about that? Like, it reminds me of, like, Gears of War. Like, it reminds me of, like, very clunky kind of, like, you know, heavy games. But again, 
This is an early gameplay walkthrough of sorts demo, really. And also, we don't know if he's doing this on purpose. A lot of the time, okay, let me pause this here. I found a place to rant. I'm going to tell you guys, uh, let's let's switch this to a soapbox really quickly. And once I actually have like a studio and somebody can do this for me live, can you guys imagine how cool that will be? It'll just pop up, soapbox, immediately. Then it'll put like the soapbox up. Anyway, early rant. <clears throat> so I mentioned how when I made the channel, I so I would say like my career, I started as like just a casual gamer. Then I became an MMO gamer. Then I, you know, was really into shooters and I got into like what I would say like the competitive uh, vibe and competitive like bug, if you will, and was really into esports and did that for a while and never really had a whole lot of success like monetary nor like notoriety. So I like tried YouTube multiple times throughout that and it never really worked. And so whenever it did work, it was because I was a hobbyist. But the, the funny story that I wanted to bring up is that I'll tell you guys what little uh, me used to think, little NS used to think. It, it, for okay, so I would watch like a game review, game trailers, right, or or IGN, or like think of any of the old school Engadget, like the any of the old school outlets, Kotaku, uh, GameSpy, GameSpot, right, any of those, and I'd watch like the gameplay review videos, and I remember thinking to myself, how is it possible that these people are able to give an accurate review when they can barely even play the game? Like, and and I'm sorry if I sound insulting, but, you know, this is my kid's self saying this, so I was very arrogant. But uh, I was, like, watching them, like, they can't even get past, like, certain levels, and, and they're talking about, like, the difficulty, and I'm like, the difficulty? Like, what do you mean the difficulty? It's not even a difficult game, and you don't have to play it on the hardest difficulty, even if it was super difficult, right? Uh, it's not Dark Souls or something like that, or, or Sekiro, or that game that just came out. Cairo, sorry, my uh, weebs. I know I'm probably saying it totally wrong, but um, I can't remember how to pronounce that one. Anyway, so that was kind of my initial thought was like, man, game reviewers suck. Like, just genuinely, like, they suck at games. Like, I didn't understand it because I was like, you do this for a living. Like, how are you not better at games? Like, you literally play games all the time. Like, I, like I could not understand that as a kid. Now, growing up a little bit, I kind of realized it's because they weren't really gamers first, right? And sorry if this sounds uh, uh, elitist or gatekeeper-y, but they were journalists, right? They went to school, they got a journalist, uh, journalism degree, and many of the reviewers at first were kind of just like official journalists. That's what people thought that they wanted back then. And um, it wasn't really what it wanted. And it's, it's funny to think about, like, the industry started more like almost official-like, right? But then now you look at 2019 and with content creators basically taking over, it's like it's a lot more informal, which is, in my opinion, way better because you're getting the opinion directly from the person that you're prescribing to instead of like having to go through the outlet. You don't know if the editor changed what that guy said because that happens all the time. Writers aren't often their editors as well. They have an editor who's like the chief editor who has final say in whatever comes out. So there's a lot of like aspects that are kind of shade not shady but just like um you have to watch out for when it comes to like traditional games journalism i guess you would say now um but yeah that was like a big motivation for me as a kid was like man i want to have a journalism website like i want to like i want to create a video game outlet that is like where you go for you know content and stuff like that and, and at the time it was like you know shooters and mmos were like my thing 
but I want it to be only where like the reviewers actually are good at games. That was my idea. And <laughs> I don't know why. Like, I remember I was watching a rock, paper, shotgun video and, you know, no shade. But one of the gamers back then, you know, sorry, one of the reviewers back then was just horrible at this game. And I was like, man, I should make my own site. And then it'll be like a site for people who can actually play games. And then that way, whenever you go to see a review there, you're going there because, you know, you think that you're going to see a certain level of play. And so that was like one of my initial like thoughts and paths was like, get really good at games. So then like I can review them. But then I realized like, well, getting good at a game doesn't mean that I necessarily know it analytically or, or, or know how to critique it properly or know what its biggest issues are. And in fact, in some ways, it can blind you to many of the issues because you've kind of normalized them. So I kind of realized like being so deeply involved in that sense, while very useful and still very useful. And that's why you can tell which games I've played heavily and which games I haven't, right? Because you're always going to be able to tell which ones I have and which ones I haven't. Just simply because the ones that I have, I know a lot about <laughs> to like an absurd level. And the ones that I don't, I'm basically reading and learning like on the fly. So it's um, it's just funny to think about that in retrospect. But um, it's something that I think going forward, whenever more MMOs start to come out that you guys will start to appreciate more is you guys haven't really seen me play a whole lot of MMOs. and. Uh, you know, I'm pretty good at them. So I hope that uh, I could do a good job of showing you guys both how to get good, but also how to know what to look for. Looking for a good game, bad game, when you're looking for an unfair business practice, right? Or maybe like if this certain company should be trusted. That's where I feel like my role is mostly. I'm not going to train a whole bunch of pro MMO players or something like that was never <laughs> in the cards. Um, but I thought it'd be funny to mention, like, that's kind of how my first vision of starting such a channel like this, really, that it's kind of started to become now, which is mo a lot more like um, investigative journalism. And I haven't really figured out which one I want to go with. Investigative, obviously, I love it because I love investigating and I also love mystery and I, it's part of the whole brand. Um, but I, I mean, video game journalism has such a bad, like, negative connotation. So I almost like I'm afraid to say, like, I'm a video game journalist because people are going to be like, <sighs> We know how those guys are. They can't even get past the tutorial on Cuphead. And I'm like, no, 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 no. that's not me. That's not me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and so, by the way, just to let people know, like, I'm not trying to be elitist and say, like, if you're not like a god at a game, you can't review it. My argument is more so that if you're like comically bad at it, it's just kind of hard to take you serious when you're watching a review. Like, and this is coming from my personal experience, watching many, 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 many reviews. Like, all I did was watch game trailers uh, as a kid. Because I, I didn't have money. I couldn't try the games out myself. So it was like I had to be absolutely sure and then beg my parent. <laughs> and beg my dad, basically. Uh, what did I miss? A week ago, Night Dive made a video of the System Shock remake of Alpha version. Oh, that's interesting. Thanks for letting me know. I'm not even going to try and pronounce your name. Jouunatri. Sorry. My my girlfriend would kill me if she heard that poor attempt at rote French. It's it's a plane. It's Nerd Slayer. Hey, what's going on, Duke? Yet? I feel like if I'm gonna wear this on podcast, when you guys sub, you're getting a Fedora tip. Alright? Let's make that a rule. In fact, I'm gonna put that somewhere. Can one of you guys write that down? So I don't forget that. Sorry. <laughs> We we need to start actually Fedora la tipping. Depending on the donation, it tips further. 
Because it's like, this is my moneymaker, basically. <laughs> Play another day in French. Ah, okay. All right, let's watch some more of this gameplay. I'm done ranting now. Anyway, I just wanted to point that out primarily just because it's like, I'll watch like somebody play an MMO <clears throat> and it's just, it's so cringeworthy. I'm sorry, I just can't help it. I've been playing them for so long. I grew up playing them to where it's just like, they come so naturally now where, I mean, you guys have seen it. I can diagnose things just by watching the game. And I know people don't believe that. I don't think it's true. And it's like, Am I 100% accurate? No, because ultimately it is based off of my perception. Um, but, for example, my first glance at Black Desert Online, I knew it wasn't a pixel-perfect game. I just knew that just by looking at it. You could just tell, right? And so I hope that I can teach you guys how to tell as well. That's my goal. I don't want to be the wizard in Wizard of Oz. Uh, wizard of Oz. I want to be um, just, one of the, just one of the wizards. <laughs> or in this case, one of the detectives. Because really, I mean, you guys help me do a lot of detective work. You guys help me come up with, I mean, you, it's like crowdsourced information, really. Like a lot of the good ideas that I get and points that I make in my videos, they actually come from uh, hearing you guys ask me questions and give me suggestions and tell me about your experiences in the game and all of this other stuff. Fedora tip for subs, bits, and the likes. Yeah, that's a good idea. Sorry, we're, we're in a, a top secret chat. I was just going to show you guys some gameplay on stream um, right now. I mean, we can kind of talk a little bit about it here. Looks like some kind of like actor thing is going on here. The the voice stuff, by the way, if you want to hear how it sounds, the, the voiceovers aren't working at the moment. I don't know if this is just like the demo version. So don't pay attention to his mouth, literally not even tracing the words at all. I hope it's not that egregious. I really, really hope that they didn't take complete steps backwards in that regard, but he's not actually talking. So I wouldn't assume anything too much from that. I think the, the chat system, it looks pretty smooth to me. And so I'm okay with that. I'm also interested in the whole kind of like humorous angle that they're going for, which is of course what you would expect from um, Tim Kaine and uh, Leonard Biarski, like they like to work on shit like that. The gun models, I would say, they look a little plasticky. Does anyone else kind of see that? Is is that just me? But maybe it's because there's so many different types of metal on that gun that it looked like disjointed, like it looked plastic in certain areas. Um, I'm just trying to basically give you guys my thoughts here of what I what I see. I'm noticing a very similar aesthetic to Bioshock. And um, I don't know if that's a good thing in this case, because Bioshock had the advantage of being underwater. So you had a lot of blue just kind of thrown in, you know? This one, it's like, it's a whole lot of these neutral colors. Every now and then you get some blue and you get some red, but it kind of looks like bland, I'll say. Like, I, I don't know if that's fair yet it could be texturing could be rendering they they still have time to work on it but at the moment it's looking a little like a bioshock like without all of the water and being underwater kind of thing which it's kind of maybe bioshock infinite was like that i guess but that's what i'm noticing i like the armor it doesn't look too absurd which sorry i think a lot of the fallout armor just looks absurd <laughs> i get it it's part of the uh, you know uh being iconic okay just attack somebody 
Wow. Was that blood? Is this because, like, they didn't want to, like, offend anybody? Why is, like, green goo coming out of everybody? The melee, I'll be honest, doesn't really look too great, but I, you know what? These are the guys that did Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 1, all right? <laughs> the combat's not really what we came here for, right? We came here for the storytelling, the world, the, um, uh, the dialogue, the characters. That being said, you know, it does, in the same way that I feel that way in Vampire the Masquerade, it does kind of feel like the melee still still not so great. <laughs> it's one of those spammy melee types, which I just, I don't know, man. It's also some weird gameplay. They're just like slaughtering like civilians, I guess, to show off like the, the combat or something. I'm not, I'm not really entirely sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to reserve judgment until I see a more completed product. Um, but I'll say right now I'm very, I'm, I'm sensing lackluster vibes from the melee system, which doesn't completely surprise me. I guess I should. So temper your expectations. Don't expect some great combat system, but at the same time, um, actually, no, we're going to the MMOs in the go segment. Sorry. Doing some transitioning here. Temper your expectations for combat is what I'm saying. But don't just judge it off of that gameplay alone. Because we never know, like, that could be an early, early state or whatever else. I like to give at least, you know, a company that I believe is generally pretty good, pretty good at this kind of stuff. The benefit of the doubt. But uh, it could have also been rushed. Because with the Microsoft uh, acquisition and all this other stuff, it, they could need to put out a product to kind of prove that they've got something there. But that's just a little bit of speculation. Looks a bit generic. Yeah, I think I think many of us kind of said that as well. Um, 31 subs, by the way. And let me change graphic. Literally doing 10 things at the same time. And I can't really complain. <laughs> I, I love it. Violence <laughs> feels good, man. A uh, human revolution, a uh, human revolution had golden filter, which looked nice aesthetically. Here, I don't see the same intention. I, I, I agree with that. I see what you're saying there, uh, uh, Ramis. I see what you're saying. And the attacks do look a little bit weightless because it's kind of like that swing and just it's like that swing and bang kind of combat system. You know what I'm talking about, where you just like can literally just like swing, like kind of like Ashes of Creation right now on their Apocalypse server. One of those where you just Basically try and spam the hell out of your opponent until they die. Which is like so 2005. Alright, so let's go ahead and get into... They should have uh, shown something before asking for money. A good point. Um, let me get into the MMOs and the Go segment. And um, the first one that I wanted to talk about... I'm going to talk about it. Oh, uh-oh. Card wants me to do a le, le tip. All right, thank you for the bit donation card. I appreciate that. The the deepest of Fedora uh, tips for uh, Le Moderator and Le Bit uh, donation. I'm sorry, my French friend in chat. He's like, can you stop saying Le? <laughs> I'll say La. <laughs> anyway, um, 
This one's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, so please don't think that I'm taking this completely serious. But there's been some recent news that came out that uh, apparently Daybreak hasn't given up on a sequel for EverQuest. Now, that means EverQuest 3, as I put in the title, could be a possibility. Now, I know there's a lot of like a mega lulls in chat. And uh, for those who aren't in chat right now, you're probably just laughing out loud audibly and everybody's staring at you awkwardly in your cubicle or wherever you're at on the bus. And um, yeah, okay, bear with me here, right? I know it's Daybreak and Daybreak is literally owned by an investment company. (laughs) So if there's a company you cannot choose to like uh, have your artistic values or, or gamer sensibilities at heart, it's probably not going to be that company. And they've already kind of shown that in a lot of different cases. I mean, they, they've done like the Planetside 2 Arena thing. They, they've done, um, they tried the EverQuest Next with the EverQuest Landmark thing, which was basically like some half-baked, not even real games sold as like a $30 game. Point being is there's a lot of bad history surrounding Daybreak and the company that came before them, which was SOE. And as they, they said here, uh, uh, Longdale, who apparently is a game director, um, that I don't really know what that necessarily means. If like a director for one game or for games in general. Anyway, there was a real nugget of an idea there, but a technical hurdle re- referencing uh, EverQuest Next, by the way, a uh, technical hurdle the team just couldn't get over. All the other stuff that EverQuest has kind of got lost because it focused on voxels and dynamically generating a changing world. So, huh? They acknowledge EverQuest Next. All right. We've been evaluating what makes EverQuest EverQuest. What took you so long to do that? Sorry, I'm... I guess I've, I've already covered EverQuest, so I'm, I'm wondering what took them so long to do it. If it took me two and a half weeks to kind of realize some of the problems, you know? I mean, really, we. Because uh, I played Project uh, 1999 with a couple of my friends, and that opened my eyes, honestly. Playing like that emulator opened my eyes um, to not only just the beauty of what EverQuest originally stood for, but also just how much got lost in the sauce, if you will. Because uh, EverQuest, you know, Project 1999, which is the EverQuest 1999 version, the original EverQuest version, it's just, it's so unforgiving and I love it. Like if you spawn as a dark elf and you go up to like a human land, you will get killed on site by the guards or by a player if they can. And it's just one of those games where it's like, you have to actually like get on people's good side and be careful. Not everyone is just happy to see you. <laughs> anyway, a um, little bit off topic, but whatever we do in the future, she said, we're going to embrace what we are. We'll mix something we think is the next evolution for EverQuest. I just wonder, you know, with Daybreak at this point, H1Z1, or what do they call it these days? Z1 or something? It is not doing so hot and hasn't been doing so hot. Uh, Planetside has been losing more and more population, though it has an okay uh, fan base, or sorry, community size. They didn't really uh, help that, though, whenever they released like an arena version of it, which people are just like, Planetside? Like, why would you make that an arena? So I, I don't know if Daybreak is desperate here, if this is just to keep themselves relevant, if this is just to cash in on a little bit of nostalgia. But at this point, it's kind of like, even if they do say all of these things, like, oh, what makes EverQuest EverQuest? And we're going to bring it back to the original. Like, 
they don't have any of the original developers working there, like any of the major original developers working there. Rest in peace, the guy who did the cover art, by the way. Uh, he passed away, but um, I believe he passed away recently, in fact. But um, they don't have any really of the same original talent, and so it's like, okay, if you're just going to learn from the past, why would we trust that you're the company to do that? You know, like, why would we trust that the investment-centric company, the one who's already made these giant blunders, is the one to somehow save the day. Um, obviously, I'm not convinced, as you can tell. So the title's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. I don't really think there will be an EverQuest 3, and if there is, I'm deathly afraid to see what it would be, like, um, at this point, you know? Could it be a slam dunk? Could it even be, like, somewhat good? It's possible, but at this point, we haven't seen any serious details concerning it. It's a lot like EverQuest Next. It's kind of like, it's vaporware until they prove otherwise. All right, so there, this has been brought to my attention by uh, a gentleman on Twitter and also a number of you guys in chat. There's been a recent, uh, <laughs> as the Reddit thread put, clown fiesta concerning Black Desert Online. Black Desert's big band wave this week apparently had more than a few false positives. And so as they explain here in the article, uh, Kakao was trying to, the publisher rather, was trying to cut down on a lot of the cheating in Black Desert. Um, apparently it says specifically in shadow arena and, um, this support reportedly was been, or has been plagued by hackers since it's rollout earlier in the winter, the bandwave, unfortunately, as this other article says here, uh, actually this is the forum po post that someone originally linked me, um, that was talking about, uh, basically they're admitting that there's a lot of fault here, but it took them a lot to get to this point. In fact, this was posted back on... Let's see. This was posted on Friday. Friday was the 29th. I was getting reports of this days before that. And Redditors are still reporting hackers, which is even worse. But um, I, for some reason, I'm not seeing the thread that I wanted to see here. So I'm going to have to go pull up my Twitter and go look for this gentleman's... Because um, he linked me something in particular. Uh, where? Okay, so jewelry FX plugs and gauges. Link to me this community post where um, there's a bunch of people who posted this, by the way. And so what what they did is they said, okay, say your family name, the server you're playing, are you a Steam user, and then the number that they give you for the tickets. And so what what they were finding is that people were randomly being banned, and they weren't really sure why. And so. Scrolling down here, um, you kind of see like after a while, people realized they were getting the same messages. They were getting literally copy-paste messages. Greetings. The use of third-party software impacting the game directly is extremely damaging both to our business and integrity of the game, and as such will not be tolerated. After an investigation into your account, we have been able to verify the use of such software and have concluded to permanently close your account's access to our services. Yeah. So, uh... It turns out that many people were getting the exact same response. Here we go. Another person got this same response. Look, they started actually taking pictures of the same response. The same response. The same response. And so people were obviously pissed off about this because they're like, not only did you guys just basically create some bot to like sense who's hacking, you don't even know if I'm hacking. You banned me without giving me any due process. 
And then whenever I um, submit a ticket to you, you're just giving me some copy paste or copy paste response, which again tells me it's probably some robot sending that kind of support message. Um, obviously, there was a lot of drama concerning this recently, and I felt like I should highlight it because um, people had reached out to me about mentioning this. Now, the good news is, is it's been two days since then. And so um, they actually did release this particular uh, follow-up. And it says, Dear Adventures, the uh, announcement is regarding the recent ban wave that took place. After the ban wave was implemented, we found that some players have been wrongfully banned. We would like to offer our deepest apologies for making a critical mistake on our part. Okay, that's always an important part of the, uh, sorry, of the apology is the sorry part. But you notice that they didn't say sorry there? Okay, they said sorry here. There we go. All right, we got a sorry. That's good. Um, we are taking this issue very seriously. We will reassess our ban process. Uh-oh. That doesn't reassure me. It wasn't really even your process. Like, you, you designed some kind of AI, basically, to just false, you know, flag people. Uh, or, sorry, sorry, to flag people. Which false flagged people? Basically, turning it to automation kind of got them into the position, it seems like. We are truly sorry. This We would like to offer a token of apology by compensating those. Okay. Some, some compensation here. All right. They had banned, apparently, uh, an additional 376 accounts including the ones that weren't even mentioned. So they <laughs> Okay, so they applied a permanent ban to an additional 376 accounts. So they wanted to to say the number so you know how many accounts they banned, but then they don't want to say the money uh, the number of how many accounts they had to unban. <laughs> Sorry. That's just a funny little thing that I noticed. There. <laughs> um we understand this has caused high amounts of stress. We promise to improve our internal procedures. That's what people don't like. They don't want to see the internal procedures. <clears throat> Uh-oh. It doesn't seem like people are totally happy with this response. Many Steam users and not Steam users are still false permabanned. Ha-ha-ha. <laughs> Yeah, so it looks like it wasn't totally solved. Let's let's go ahead to more recent times to see if uh, there's been some more recent uh, um, developments in the story. Hmm. It looks like people were just talking about who's been banned, this person's been banned, or whatever else, but... Uh, Oh, so even this apparently casual uh, player got caught in the band wave as well. <laughs> uh, man. Anyway, it's been a clown fiesta. I hope it all gets sorted out. Um, I kind of don't really feel like super sorry, though. Like, let me let me first get that out of the way. And what I mean by that is sorry to those who got screwed, but... For those who are new to the story about Black Desert and you haven't maybe watched one of my videos on At this point, I mean, are you really surprised? Like when when can we stop being surprised? I guess is the question I always have. Is like when can we be like, you know what? Yeah, this is par for the course. I think at this point it's kind of 
kind of par for the course. I mean, you're involved with a company that is basically primarily focused on finding ways to make you pay for convenience. And they, more so than any other game I've seen, are dedicated to that. <laughs> and so you've gotten normalized with that. Okay, that maybe that monetization system or cash shop isn't a problem for you. But then what about like the other problems, like the rampant hacking? Right? What about that problem? Or, or what about just being banned for essentially false positives, right? There's a lot of other reasons besides the business model to be kind of apprehensive of playing Black Desert in. It's a shame because when I look at Black Desert, I think to myself, this game only exists right now because there's no competition. Like, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll be the first to say that. This game exists because there's no competition. If a new age game came out that's in the mind of the types of games that we've talked about on stream before, um, new tech, um, maybe they focus on fixing certain issues that other games didn't focus on. Maybe they focus on building the world instead of just being a generic game. The point being is when one of those games comes out, it'd make Black Desert look like child's play in, 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 in comparison. It's just that there isn't. So really, Black Desert exists and exists very successfully right now because there isn't any competition. And this is painfully obvious to me because many of the comments that I get regarding my video on it are, well... Um, what do you play then, right? What do you play? If you don't play Black Desert, what do you play? And it's like, I guess they think it's like a gotcha moment to be like, oh, what MMOs do you play? It's like, guys, why do you think I made this channel? Because I'm trying to tell you that the majority of MMOs out right now are not good. <laughs> They're not good. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> now, there are some good ones. There's some diamonds in the rough, but those are very hard to find and they're often low population. So generally speaking, the more popular games are just like, I'm sorry, I don't really think they're that good. Maybe they were good five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, but 2019? Am I the only one that's feeling like they're just outdated? Like, at this point, I want something new. I want something fresh, something innovative, something with, like, a bigger scale, something with better graphics, something with better combat, something, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want more of the same. I want something better. And, and once that better thing comes... Games like Black Desert Online and Arc Age, which basically exist on that hybrid level of being tab target and combat and action combat slash sand park, you know, where it's like sandbox mixed with theme park. Once we just straight pass into the sandbox level of territory and we have the money and resources to back up that kind of gameplay, I truly think we will look at games like Black Desert Online as um, a... Uh, a victim of the circumstance, basically. They came at the right time. They really did. And uh, I have to give them credit for that. And they do have a lot of content to do in that game. Um, so I also have to give them credit for that. But uh, I certainly think that we have a lot better games yet to come, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And so don't get caught up in the whole mentality of like, oh, well, if I look at the games right now and they're not that good, then that means that I have to play them. It's like, ultimately speaking, it sucks that I, had, I don't have an MMO that I play every day right now. I say that every day to you guys. I'd love to play an MMO every single day that I was having fun with. The only one right now that I'm interested in is Classic WoW, which is supposed to be coming out in a couple of months or whatever else. And um, that's basically the only one that I'm interested in right now. So you guys will see me playing that loads. I've already announced to you guys that I'll have a community and a clan in it. So we'll be playing that loads and you'll get to see 
that I ever, I, you know, if you don't know me already, I absolutely love MMOs. They're my favorite game, favorite genre. In my opinion, they're the best and biggest genre. It's just that um, they're also the most affected by uh, the market changes because they're the most dynamic, you know, living, breathing of the different genres, if you will. Oh, yeah, there's no April Fool's jokes um, that I've been making so far. <laughs> Uh, it's a very subtle way of saying this. Going to be a fantasy MMO based in my fantasy universe I worked on for years. I just need some programmers and artists, you know. <laughs> we gamers should take the industry in our own hand. We need to start a revolution. <laughs> Did you guys see the news that Jeff Kaplan has moved to a new project at Blizz? Possible an MMO? Jeff? Is that real? Sorry. Okay. I don't... You know what? I'm not going to take anything that you guys say seriously. I, I, like, if you're going to do the April Fool's thing today, I'm... <laughs> Damn it, it's hard to be a fucking journalist when you're actually trying to meme as well. Because I do want to meme, but I'm also like, okay, I don't want to, like, misinform people. <laughs> Honestly, most of the April Fool's news or events for games I've seen so far have been lame as heck. They're trying to be over the top, and I can't help but feel like that's because they don't want to be misconstrued as actually being true. <laughs> Uh, wise move yeah no I, I i think um there's a lot of pitchforks out there and there's a lot of mobs out there and i like to think of my community as a, a mob of pitchforks but a mob of uh educated pitchforks <laughs> i want my community to be seen as a mob of or an educated mob with pitchfork so we're still ready to burn it all down if we need to but we're not going to be um, blindly burning things down. and Because that's what the general audience usually does. I don't want my audience to do that. That's why we have rule four, everybody. All right. Um, <laughs> let me um, go into my next topic. And this one's a smaller topic. So just so you guys remember, the end of the podcast is a call-in segment. So you can either call in to me. Um, you can ask me a question in chat and uh, I will answer it. And that will be the majority of the rest of the podcast. Right now, we've currently been running for about an hour. So the next hour or so after I do this, um, these next two topics will be mostly just me answering questions. So just to let you guys know that. All right. So Project Gorgon recently announced um, that they are introducing a Gorgon shop which is basically just like a cash shop to contribute to the continued development of their game. Now, I, um, I have a couple of different opinions about Project Gorgon. I have very positive opinions of them. Um, I also have From a bit of a negative opinion, and I've mentioned this on chat. I believe them pricing their game at $40 is such a massive blunder that I wish I could just like sit down with the lead developer and just make my case. Because I feel like if I make my case, maybe he'd understand <laughs> that it's not a good idea. Um, and I feel like I'm kind of justified in this. Because now that they announced the cash shop, they're kind of realizing that putting a $40 price tag, which is already a lot to ask of somebody, is well, already a lot to ask of somebody. But then you also want to introduce more ways of people paying for uh, more development. Which, by the way, the community wanted this. So they wanted more ways to um, support the game through some sort of cash shop, which, by the way, if you click on the link, it's pretty damn fair. 
50 bucks, you get a horse, you get the uh, hair. It doesn't say exactly what you get. Okay, you get the horse, you get nine months of VIP, which is like a sub, obviously. And then you get like saddlebags for 50 bucks. So 75 bucks, you get the mount, the saddlebags, a second horse, apparently. 12 months of a VIP membership. So when you look at this and you know how much VIP memberships are, you know, typically priced, they're going to be a nice, or sorry, uh, you know, $10. Even that alone, you're saving money, right? And the other one was six months, I I believe, right? You're saving money, so it it just it cracks me up. And sorry, let me let me let me walk this back here. I personally think that they've priced their game too high, but if the argument is that the only people willing to buy it are going to be the ones willing to really test it, I think that's an okay argument. I just can't help but feel like they'd do better if they had more players which then means more revenue because ultimately doing a steep buy to play for an MMO in development, especially one worked on by such a small team, I don't think it's a good idea. It's just players see this and they think, is this game worth $40? Even if it's early access, right? You think, is this game worth $40? Brought you Having played the game and also played it on stream, do I think it's worth $40? Absolutely not. Do I think it would be worth $40 after some time and, and, and development um, updates? Absolutely. They have a really good base here. In fact, Project Gorgon, out of all of the MMOs that I've tried in the next gen, if you want to call it that, um, it's like an Asheron's Call, like spiritual successor, by the way, in some sort of like facet. But um, I think it's one of the better along ones. Um, I just can't help but feel like $40 is a lot to ask. But anyway, to, to, to now get back to the topic that I was bringing up, the, the players wanted to add a cash shop because they wanted more ways to, to support the game to help with development costs. Now, what is annoying to me is how ignorant the community can be in regards to like responding to such things. Now, people who don't even play the game are going to basically be outraged about what they don't even know is going on. So, for example, I just showed you guys what is actually in the Gorgon shop. If you're a fan of the game, I think these are totally fair prices. Right? I think these are totally fair. Obviously, the Horse Lord one is there to be like, if you want five years of membership, a house, and like these other perks to make more horses, then I mean, like, by all means, spend that kind of money. How is that any different than a pledge in a Kickstarter? It isn't. It's not different than a pledge. It basically is a pledge. I think the thing that pisses people off is the fact that it's an early access. So they blanket put project gorgon into the early access bin when the game has like two developers guys like come come on like how are they supposed to make money to come up with this idea they need a cash shop they need a box price or something they need monetization so then you get people like responding to this where it's like look at the amount of like controversial uh you guys ever sort by controversial don't do it if you want your sanity Okay, so this guy makes a really good point. He says, like, devs are just, he's like, fuck all of you, you are the greedy ones. You don't have to buy this stuff, blah, 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 nothing is free. Now, okay, this is a bit of a slippery slope because he threw in pay to win and devs are just greedy, which these are actually, like, viable concerns with other games but aren't viable in this case. Anyway, I wanted to read some of the absurd comments. So this guy responds with, uh, you know, a pretty cl a classic line of suck more corporate cock. Now, uh, obviously, he gets downvoted into oblivion. Somebody points out that he uh, 
has a star citizen flair, which they find to be appealing. Now, you might ask, like, why am I even mentioning this? It looks like just some, like, pointless drivel. Remember what I talked about the educated mob with pitchforks? Here's, like, an uneducated mobber with, with a pitchfork, where he's just, like, angry because he's a like, corporatism. Greed. Urgh. Real things to be mad about. Like, viable things to actually have a bone to pick with someone, right? But in this context... It's completely unwarranted because you haven't even actually like looked into whatever you're trying to uh, remark about because everybody has to have an opinion. So everybody just sees the title and just immediately makes a post. And it's just like it's so crazy to read some of these comments where it's just like people <laughs> people just have this mentality where it's like it's a cash like this guy think it's a, it, he thinks it's a big argument to point out that it's a cash shop. If they called it a pledge, would it have made you happier? If they called it a loot box, would it have made you happy? Like, uh, it's just um, they aren't even going to last five years. Sixty-year-olds making games, so like, you guys see the kind of shit that you have to wade through. Is it's just like any time on the MMORPG subreddit, which is pretty popular, right? It has 100k people, and it is the MMORPG subreddit. People just bandwagon want to hate shit. So my, uh, my point in bringing this up with you guys is talk, talk a little bit about the business of it. Because, you know, I mentioned like the box price could be a little bit too high. But um, having a cash shop that is basically like a pledge system, I think is a good idea. And it's intelligent to do. The reason why, really, I thought I brought it up, though, is just to show you guys, like, when an uneducated mob has pitchforks, people are just getting lynched and killed left and right. Like, to bring the analogy into video games, games are going to get review bombed. Developers are going to get death threats. Um, you know, games are going to get uh, shit sent to them. Um, companies are going to get their businesses hurt and, and maybe even, like, tanked. Because remember, a small business can't take a review bomb. That would end them overnight. And and so there's many examples like this. And it's like you have to be careful about where you're pointing your hate or your your dislike, right? You have to be educated in what you're actually disliking. So when you see cash shop, don't just think bad because a cash shop in itself isn't really bad, right? As long as it's fair, whatever your definition of fair is, is subjective ultimately. But I mean fair in regards to the general marketplace. I think it's it does developers like Project Gorgon's team, which is a small two-person team, a disservice to lump them in with everybody else that does early access or lump them in with everybody else that does a cash shop. Kind of see like what I'm trying to say here. So that's just my thing. I don't think you guys are doing this, so I'm not really talking to you guys in this respect. But I just think it's important that we, as a community, make sure that we, whenever we're having conversations about this sort of stuff with other people, that we do our best to like explain to them what's actually bad and what's actually good. Because if we do that, if you do your part <laughs> as um, one of my viewers, as one of my... It's weird to say fans, so I'm going to say friends instead. Um, but even that's kind of weird, so I'm just going to say detectives. Yeah, you guys are detectives anyway. But um, as long as you just stay curious and question things, you'll be all right, right? Like this is not going to affect you in any serious way. I just think that we can do our part as a community to make sure that things aren't just going to be blindly hated and, and blindly killed because we don't want Project Gorgon to fail, right? Like, I mean, look at the reviews on the game. Like, they're pretty positive. And I've tried the game out 
as well. Is it unfinished? Absolutely. But does it make sense to be unfinished with the resources that they have? Absolutely. And that being said, it still has a pretty positive reception. So it's like, don't poo-poo the small developers, small indie developers who are trying to make good games. They're trying to make money, guys. Like, let's support them, okay, if you want to, right? Otherwise, don't. <laughs> I believe a small team can make everything a large team can. It would just take them longer. I, I agree, mostly, besides, like, marketing. But in these, day, in these days, you don't really need a marketing budget in the same way that you used to. I mean, for example, if Project Gorgon wants to come to me to be their marketing budget, not that I'm going to shill their game and say it's great if I don't like it, but point being is a content creator like me or Lazy Peon or the other YouTubers, MMO Bomb, if you came to us and said, hey, can you give us some rub, try out our game or whatever else, we'll pay you a modest sum, we're, we're not going to have a high price to ask in comparing you know, to like a AAA company. When a AAA company is going to pay somebody to play their game, I mean, guys, you've heard the numbers. You're talking five grand, 10 grand, big money. And that's because that money is also like a, you like the game, right? Eh? Like, that's what they want. They, they kind of want to be like, a lot of money. You shouldn't be too mean to us. Um, but anyway, I digress. Let's go ahead and move into the... Uh, actually, no, I have one more thing that I wanted to mention. Remember how I love showing you guys small indie projects because I love showing you how, how possible it is to make an MMO that is not only good, but is also different and unique and offers innovative features to it? I found one recently that was mentioned on the MMORPG subreddit, weird enough, and they, people were positive about it. Maybe because of the art style and people were more realistic about that sort of stuff, but... um. It's a game that's called Rogalia, and uh, it's a Russian game uh, originally, so I'm not really sure if um, how the servers are working, but it is free on Steam, which is another reason why I wanted to mention it for those who are possibly interested in trying out an MMO. So Rogalia, it's on Steam. You can go look it up. I have no idea what the reviews are. I literally just pulled this up today. It looks like they're mostly positive, 71% mostly positive, so... I'll show you guys a video of kind of how it looks, but I love showing off uh, indie de uh, developers and small MMO projects because I personally have a desire to work on one myself, but I like to show to people that you don't need to focus on big budget, big gameplay, excuse me, big combat, huge animations, sexy graphics. MMO players, we just want a world that we can build, that we can live in, and that we can customize to our liking. And I mean, this game is that and then some. I mean, this kind of this game kind of reminds me of like a RuneScape game, except it also allows you to build things out in the world. It has a very robust crafting system where you can actually impact your world to some extent. You can, you know, like they show it right here in this little scene, I think, where he's actually like messing with his garden and, and it looks kind of like a Stardew Valley to some extent. And And, and I mean, just... To say, I'm not saying that fans don't like sexy graphics or sexy animations or sexy combat. I'm just saying that, ultimately speaking, the reason why the MMO genre is unique, and this is an, a fact that nobody can dispute, so you can tell this to anybody else who ever uses this argument to you, is social interaction. It is the community. That's the whole point. 
the whole point of an MMO has always been the community. It's the players. It's interacting with people. So when there's a game where I feel like I have little interaction with other players, I get bored. I don't care how good it looks. I don't care how cool the combat is because at the end of the day, in an MMO, that's the aspect that you expect that they'll do right, right? Because you know, historically, they're not going to do the combat right. And so my argument to people is not that you can't not like great combat or great graphics in an MMO. I love that too. It's that ultimately, if they have that, but they don't have the actual community aspects, right? The world building, the lore, then who cares? <laughs> who cares? Like, think about it. Like, it's not going to have the same impact. Like, why is RuneScape still played to this day? Why is old school RuneScape? Why did old school RuneScape, or sorry, why did classic RuneScape last so long? Why is old school RuneScape still around? These games are not graphically gorgeous. They don't even have good animations. It's because they force you to work within a community. And that's the long lasting aspect that stays in your game even years after its, you know, death. Text-based MUDs, which are the original MMO, if you will, still exist to this day. Some of them still exist. Why is that? Is it the graphics? Is it the gameplay? Is it the, the cool sound effects? No, it's none of that. It's the community. So I like showing games like Regalia because this is a game that clearly is trying to focus on community. And so gameplay is secondary in that respect. And so I, I, I just wanted to point that out because whenever I talked about Black Desert Online, people are like, well, why do you expect it to be so great as an action? Like, why do you expect all this great action combat? MMOs have bad combat. It's like, yeah, they do. But there's no excuse to having not so great combat and then also shitty community interaction. Like, so in a game like Black Desert Online, the world itself is basically lifeless. Like, it's just a world in which you can grind to the next achievement, right? It doesn't actually change. It's not dynamic, right? It's not living. The world isn't living. And if the game, or sorry, the world isn't living, you better have some damn good combat. <laughs> That's how I see it. Like, Darkfall had a lot of problems in its world building as well, in its living system or, or living world system. It also had problems with lore, and it lacked story. And I love talking about how great Darkfall is, but I'm only talking about one aspect of Darkfall that's great, and that's the combat. So my argument is kind of like, if I'm going to play an MMO for the combat, it has to be damn good, like it would be in an action game, essentially. Otherwise, why would I play an MMO? Think about that. Why would I play Black Desert Online when I can go play Mountain Blade? Or why would I play Black Desert Online when I can go play Jedi Knight, Jedi Academy? I mean, I think these combat systems are much better. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, if, if it's just the combat system, why not just play an action game? It's because people want the combat system and they also want a little bit of that MMO. They want the, the guilds, the clans, the, the group territory control, the crafting. They still want that. That's why they're playing games like that, right? But ultimately speaking, the world is all that matters. All right, so 
I'm going to open up the floor to all questions and change it to call-in segment here. I've ranted a, uh, enough and I've covered the majority of the topics that I wanted to um, cover. And I think I made the points that I wanted to make. And I'm sure I'll make these in a video. Because when I make points on stream, I know not everyone's going to see them. I mean, I'm, I don't have all of my viewers here right now. So it's kind of like, I'm probably going to have to make another video at some point to talk more about that. And I'll probably have more time to actually collect my thoughts because I'm an extrovert. I talk, I think out loud. Like I literally talk to myself sometimes because I'm like, I have to process the thoughts. And so that's why if you guys ever see me and I'm talking to you guys and it seems as if I'm thinking my way through it, it's because that's how I think. <laughs> um, okay, so you can at me in chat if you have any questions and if you'd like to ask me a, a question in the podcast lobby, uh, sorry, in the uh, Discord, you can join the Discord. It's discord.gg slash nerdslayer. That's our splash page at the moment. You can join chat and queue up a question for me. And um, Jeremy2 is already in line right now, so he, he'll be first in line in the call-in segment, but I'll answer a couple of questions from the uh, chat first, just to make sure I cover a couple of these. Um, did I get any of the other ones? Let me get some water really quick. I agree, Ludens. I think it could work better for an MMO FPS compared to an MMORPG. Okay, so the first question I've got here is Iramis asks, uh, what can you say about microtransactions in single player games like Praxis Points and Mankind Divided? Orbs and taunts in DMC5, and you probably also forgot the uh, Shadow of uh, War. Um, uh, Shadow of War. Uh, what's the What's the second part? I can't remember what the the second part of that game, but it's that um the one where you're like some wraith guy and you're running around and doing the whole action sequence, and it's got that low like branching system. Anyway, I'm not gonna look it up right now because I don't want to um, waste too much time looking that game up. Shadow of War. Thank you, Jeremy. Too. I appreciate that. Shadow of War is the sequel. That's the one that uh, has the single-player transactions. Okay, so uh, in regards to that question, so I am completely against them. I I'm, I'm so against them that like I wish I could shout it from the rooftops. And I know it might seem a bit much for some people. They'd be like, dude, it's a single-player game. What harm is it? It's not pay-to-win. It's single-player games. Please stop. You're fucking it up for all of us. Every time you guys say it's okay when somebody does some shitty business practice, it becomes okay. It does become okay. So, no, it's not okay to put microtransactions in a single-player game. Like, come on, guys. If I'm paying full price for a game, how are you going to sell me XP boosts like Dead Space? Like, I can't trust that you have my best interest in mind because if you're selling me an XP boost, I know you're affecting the level at which I gain XP. Does nobody else think about that? If I am buying an item that grants me an XP boost, it guarantees that the developers have looked at the level in which you gain experience. They have had to have done that. That's business, right? They have to look at like, okay, we want them to buy this like XP boost, but what are the economics? Why would they buy it, right? Well, in the case of Dead Space, it's because it was grindy as fuck <laughs> and the combat wasn't that great. So people kind of got bored of having to grind against the same creeper, you know, monster zombie dudes over and over again. And so I'm 
completely against them doing single player uh, microtransactions. I don't like it. I think it's a bad precedent. I think you let some people get away with it. They'll all start getting away with it. And next thing you know, just like with other business practices, it's going to become normalized. So no, just keep yelling about that, guys. Keep saying no, 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 not in my game. And um, the only thing I can think of that's different is like DLC. <laughs> you guys are going to laugh, but as a kid, I did not buy DLC. Um, Mass Effect, Dragon Age, any of those, I, did, I refuse to buy DLC. The only thing I would buy is complete editions. So like the, you know, the Platinum Neverwinter Nights collection or the, um, you know what I mean? Like the, the essentially like the game of the year versions that have like the DLCs in them. I, I did not buy DLCs whenever I was like 15, 16, 17, 18, even though I already had a job at that point. And it's because I refused to buy DLCs. I did not like the idea of them day one giving me a DLC like Mass Effect. I hated that. I was so against that. Looking back, I've grown a little bit since then. I'm not nearly as hard on it because it's kind of like, well, day one DLC, yeah, I'm probably not okay with that. But DLC after a while, I mean, they do have to monetize it. They can't just keep releasing free content. So it's kind of like, I'm against day one DLC. I'm against Capcom DLC where it's like on the disc. Um, but I'm okay with DLCs that are actually like worth the money that you pay. <laughs> like um, Elite Dangerous Horizons. I think that's worth the money that you pay. It's a pretty good expansion. Thank you, ViewKit. I'm glad uh, you enjoyed listening to it. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and drag German2 in since he's got the first question in voice. Remember, if you'd like to ask me a question in voice, you can join my Discord. It's uh, www.discord.gg slash nerdslayer. There's links all over the place, so... If you haven't already joined, you should, because that's the word. Or sorry, that's where the majority of the updates come from. Hey, what's up? Hey, so um, just kind of going back to an earlier topic, uh, you were bringing up the whole uh, game journalist thing, and uh, I think just kind of add on to that point you were talking about is that I think the the big thing with it compared to now with content creators is that. With journalists, there isn't really, like, notable names from, like, back then. And even to an extent now, like, of course, there's always the one people name drop, which is Jason Schreier from Taku. But, I mean, like, in general, say if you go way back to, like, you know, early Game Informer, early IGN, all that, no one knew the journalists personally. So it's not like, you know, me and you as kids, we'd go on... I don't know, say game trailers and we'd see, oh man, so-and-so posted like a, a new article. Let's go check it out. It's awesome. Da, da, da. No, because we don't care about who's writing it. We just care about the content itself. And I think these days with having content creators kind of taking over that role and kind of doing the reverse of what journalists did back then, where with them it was more so cover the content first and like you said, be a journalist first before being a, you know, gamer or whatever. Whereas with content creators, they can skip that and go straight into gaming. And I think that's kind of where the big stigma comes from is that a lot of them, like you said, they're more professional about it. And they want to keep that professionalism. But at the same time, uh, they don't really care what people think about, oh, uh, say like the Doom reveal of Polygon, stuff like that. They don't care about that. And, and I can't blame them because... They get paid money to essentially write and, and 
do articles about games and stuff. And I mean, it's their prerogative. If they want to go and actually learn a game full hand, like for review, for example, it's their choice. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, if they get, you know, backlash or whatever about it, like it's up to them whether they want to actually care about the criticism or not. Yeah, I, I, I uh, first off, I'll say uh, thanks for sharing that. I think, um, you know, now that I've had some time to think about kind of what I was saying earlier, I realize like the position that I'm in more so specifically now is, like you said, like I think that sums it up pretty uh, accurately. And then it makes me wonder, okay, well, content creator is what most people would call themselves. But then I struggle with the content creator part because I feel like uh, other people call themselves a content creator and we don't make the same kind of content. <laughs> right, yeah, that's true. I mean, it's more of like a general term. I mean... Well, no, I I'm g- not I saying g- like you were saying that's the one to use, but just kind of saying that that's, from my perspective, what I've noticed right. is like... Uh, the reason why I think about video game journalism is because I don't want it to just be seen as just being a regular content creator because, I mean, really at this point, it's like I'm willing to do a lot more work than the typical content creator is willing to. And so, I I don't know. Maybe we'll we'll come up with a new term for this at some point. But uh, for now, I think I'll I'll, I'll stay with uh, investigative journalism because <laughs> it just sounds cooler and it doesn't have all the negative connotation that video game journalist does, which is just unfortunate that it does. But uh, I mean, basically, you pointed out all the reasons it does. So, yeah, I mean, it's just I think it's something that a lot of people. Uh, don't really step back and think about kind of like you said the whole pitchfork blind hate mobs uh definitely noticeable with certain sites so like you know kotaku polygon uh those kinds of sites like they have the stigma but to me it's like i can see their use and i feel like they do have people who do genuinely care it's just because they've had all the negative publicity over the years, it's kind of staying their image and, and in some sense staying even, you know, game journalism, quote unquote, as a whole. And, you know, that, that's a whole other topic for another day, but just kind of like touching a bit on that. Yeah, it makes me think about how like someone like um, Jim Sterling basically comes from being a games journalist. <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah, and you look at his content now and it's like, I don't think he'd ever call himself that. <laughs> like, I'm going to his about page right now because I'm curious if he... Yeah, he says, um, the YouTube home of video game not journalist. <laughs> That's pretty good. Because <laughs> <laughs> he knows it's like career suicide, really, to just be like, yeah, I'm a games journalist. Because everyone's going to be like, oh, no. They're going to have, like, PTSD from hearing that. But uh, anyway, I appreciate you bringing that up. And thanks for... Uh, it. I guess it's kind of like a question, kind of like a statement, but still, it's uh, it's something that we can talk about. So I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, man. See ya. See you later. All right. Uh, any more questions, everybody? Because uh, once the questions stop coming in, I think that will be a good time to stop the podcast. It'll be a shorter one, but I've got some work to do. Any opinion on so-called immersive sims, System Shock, Deus Ex, Prey, 17, Dishonored, and their relation to the RPG genre? Hmm. <clears throat> you wouldn't put Bioshock in there? I feel like Bioshock fits the bill of all of those games. I mean, it is based on System Shock. Yeah, but I would, I would probably say... Hmm. Yeah, I would throw Bioshock in there. Anyway, Bioshock, System Shock, Deus Ex, Prey, 17, Dishonored. 
they're they're like interesting games right because it what they remind me of is like action rpg or action adventure they kind of remind me of those sorts of games but the thing that's different about them is that they're very it's changed over the over time so it's kind of hard to see now but like you look at like deus ex and system shock and they did have different ways to play the game like different paths throughout the same zones in fact in deus ex you could do stealth playthroughs you could do aggro playthroughs you could try and talk your way through things there is a lot of ways to kind of um uh i guess go through the the game and not just played in the same way as like the newer one like uh, deus ex uh, human revolution if i remember correctly it lost a lot of that same ability to kind of play the game in different ways as for prey i didn't play that game but i can see the theme that you're trying to kind of like outline here i would say that those games do uh seem distinctively enough to me to not be considered the typical rpg because they don't allow you to choose like text options really not really at least um, they kind of are on rails ultimately with the main story, but the gameplay is open-ended more so than the story or like the RPG aspects. So I feel like immersive sim is an interesting way to put that, but I can't help but feel like that would put people off who aren't familiar with the genre. So maybe we need to come up with some other word to call those sorts of games, but calling them action games or RPGs, I feel like it's kind of like they're a victim of being a hybrid of sorts, and so they kind of don't really get justice from being called either of those singularly, I guess I would say. You think I'm more of a, a historian? Well, to me, saying someone's a historian is a good way to say that they've basically wasted a lot of time doing one particular thing. <laughs> so I, I've done a lot of that. <laughs> Do you have any opinions on newer RPGs, Pathfinder, Kingmaker, Outward? I've heard these are callbacks to order, older, sorry, styled games. Um, actually, I've played and play Pathfinder uh, Kingmaker Chronicles because I enjoy it. I, I really like that in Pathmaker. It's a game that... Pathmaker. <laughs> Pathfinder. Pathfinder Kingmaker. Sorry, Pathfinder is the universe. It's like 3.5 or whatever. It's based on 3.5 uh, Dungeons and Dragons rule set. Pathfinder is its own... It's sort of like D&D, but it's its own universe. Um, I like Pathfinder Kingmaker primarily because it's a game that focuses on getting the tabletop RPG parts of an RPG right. And to be more specific, uh, skill checks, right? So for those who aren't familiar with tabletop or pen and paper, um, skill checks are based on like, let's say you have 20 dexterity and my character uh, has some animation or in, in the case of Pathfinder, the way it works, in Kingmaker Chronicles, is they'll say like, oh, this thing falls from the sky. What 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 do you do? And so like if you have 20 dexterity, maybe you're like, I leap out of the way and you succeed because you had a high enough roll. Now, let's say you don't, but you're like, I'm strong, so I just like bat it out of the way, right? That's a skill check, right? Skill checks affect how you talk, how you interact with other players and and more specifically, the other AI. Um, Pathfinder does that amazingly in this game. Um, of course... For people who don't know, Pathfinder Kingmaker Chronicles is uh, is designed primarily by Chris Avalon. I think he's the narrative designer, so it's got some royalty involved in it. Speaking of which, royalty, Chris Avalon. Chris Avalon. By the way, 
he agreed to do an interview with us. So he'll be on the podcast. So far, we're looking at the 22nd, which is uh, in three weeks or so. He helped. Yeah, he wasn't the main designer. Sorry. He can't, he can't take credit for that good game. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he's going to be joining us on the podcast on the 22nd. And uh, we're going to, of course, talk to him about KOTOR, talk to him about Fallout New Vegas. We're going to talk to him about um, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2. We'll talk to him about even Kingmaker Chronicles. I'm curious what his involvement is in, in that game or what it was, rather. Um, but uh, if you haven't seen some of the gameplay, I'll show you some of Pathfinder's game now, actually. No, it's not an April Fool's joke. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm actually, I'm not even joking, guys. <laughs> it really is going to happen. Like he, he emailed me. He said he'd be delighted to join. And uh, I know this isn't this funny. Like in 2019, podcasts is where I can actually play the game in the middle of the podcast. Like, hey, how, thanks. How many podcasts work like that, right? <laughs> um, thank you for the uh, subscription, three six Travis. Huh. I can't help but feel like that's like a 3-6 Mafia thing. I don't, I don't know what you're going for. I like how the game now doesn't want to... Okay, there it goes. I just wanted to show you guys some, like what I was talking about. Because it's hard to explain for people who've never played tabletop or done pen and paper. But uh, does anyone here read RPG Codex? I do every now and then. Uh, I read the whole story that he did. Chris Avalon did in regards to how the whole Obsidian situation panned out oh we'll also talk to him about obsidian <laughs> i bet you he has a lot to talk about it is well uh major credit man i'm from the south too so all right i didn't want to no i don't want to create a new game all right so this is how uh pathfinder kingmaker chronicles kind of looks i'll load you one of my saves i have a bunch of different ones but this is my most recent. You're going to need a lot of popcorn for that one. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be nonstop popcorn. I mean, I think about... I've watched other people interview him before. He is very quick to not take credit for things. So I know that going in. And I'm doing my homework to make sure I don't uh, retread any of the same ground that other people have. Uh, but I, because I'm so passionate about interviewing him... I have no fear at all because I know that I, I can I can think of a cool thing to ask him because there's just so many interesting things to ask him. All right, this is loading screens are not the best part about this game, but it's not a CRPG if there isn't long loading screens. Am I right? Okay, so here's my main character, and then here are my other characters. Now, this is kind of how it looks, and if you've played um, excuse me, if you've played um, all according to other CRPGs, this probably looks pretty similar to you. You can't really see it because my uh, sub goal is blocking it. Let's get that out of the way. Okay, so th this is how you move and all that stuff. But the aspects that I like about this game are primarily because of the uh, camp system. So boom, I set up a camp. And this camp is needed to heal myself. So I click on the camp. And it puts everyone into their positions. It then starts this as a storyline. Or sorry, as a... Uh, uh, a uh, I guess a script or scripted event or whatever. But um, it's basically like... The best way to put it is like you're resting in D&D, in &D, really. So here I have my rations, my healing. 
Um, can I hunt? I'm in the cave, so I can't hunt right now. Who's in charge of the camp camouflage? Who has a special role? Who's in charge of cooking? I am. Uh, who are my guards? And so every time I rest, I have to make all of these checks. And you might be thinking, man, that just seems like redundant or kind of... Well, it's because they also tell you parts of the story that the characters will talk during this point. Instead of just being some static camp like Bioware does it or, or other games have done it in the past, this one's a little bit more dynamic. So if I want to rest here, right, I, I could fail my rest. Like, see, here's the, here's the chat. They're talking to me. I'm part of an adventure party. This is more so how it would play. So they styled it more like a tabletop game, which I find really interesting for this particular reason. So you're seeing kind of how long... Yeah, see, it tells me my camp was... Uh, camp camouflage was successful. Um, I Apparently, I didn't have enough food to cook my meal. My guy didn't cook my meal. Um, and then we come out and we're rested. And then basically, the way the game works is... Um, let me um, find one that's near... Uh, I'll find one that's near the uh, outskirts of the map. I'm only doing this, by the way, because we're early today in our podcast. So keep adding me in chat if you have any more questions you'd like to ask. Um, thank you for the Twitch Prime sub. I already said that. <laughs> thank you again. <laughs> um, you have an autograph on Avalon, or from Avalon on Wasteland 2. That's pretty cool, man. Does this conversation happen in order? Is it random? Um, All according to plan. Uh, I'm not. I'm not exactly sure. That's a good question. It's probably maybe some program lines of dialogue that occur. I mean, ultimately, the game is linear, despite trying to make you think it's maybe not as linear. The main points that I wanted to show you guys by showing this off today is just that MMOs can learn a lot from this kind of game because we. RPGs, no matter what your parent is, or sorry, no matter what your son is, right? If it's an MMORPG, it's like a CRPG, if it's a whatever kind of RPG, all RPGs come from pen and paper, right? They had to. They had to start somewhere. So many of the RPGs kind of got away from that, right? And I'm sure there's reasons. I believe all this. There's particular reasons that they did that, but that. In regards to things like traveling around the map, forming an adventure party, working together, impacting your environment, these are a lot of the different things that kind of got lost in the sauce, I guess you would say. But this is the main aspect that I wanted to show you guys. This is like a tabletop board, right? And you see, like, it, it tells me how long it takes for me to move here. Here's my little piece on the board. My characters get tired. See that fatigue, fatigue? They have fatigue, so I have to rest if I want to not, you know, incur the penalty. And you might think this is like, oh, but that just seems too redundant. Um, or just kind of like trivial. And it's not. Even in an even in a MMO, they could learn from a camp system like this and a resting system. Because this would force people to actually have to work together. And by the way, games did learn from this. Galaxies is one of them, EverQuest is one of them, and even early WoW was one of them. They tried to have a camp system because they knew it was important. But so many games don't do it anymore, including MMOs, because it just... It, people look at it and they're almost like, eh, come on, that's stupid. Why does this matter? Because during this time, you give me the ability to converse with my teammates, to converse with my clanmates, to come up with what we're going to do at the next dungeon, to, to enjoy our adventure. <laughs> adventure parties and, and quests, if you will, and different RPG stories aren't all just action. 
So it's like there should be downtime, as Brad McQuaid said when he talked about EverQuest. There should be downtime. It just shouldn't be all downtime like it was. There should be a mixture. So like just like simple systems like this make me inspired enough to show them off to you guys if they don't necessarily seem like they're completely related. But uh, anyway, I was just showing that off to you guys really quickly. Okay, I had another question. Um, Have you heard of the game Outward? Yeah, so I've been following that one and I don't have as many positive things to say about that one particularly just because although I think the as like the game aspect of it, like I would say the game design is interesting. The world and the lore and all that other stuff that's pretty important to me seems like it's completely lackluster. I also think that the game seems like clearly unfinished. It's a bit buggy, so I don't know if I'm really like, you know, all ears about that yet. Like, I, I guess at this point, I would say I'm like apprehensive about the game, but I'm not really convinced it's going to be good itself. But I think that the idea in which it presents, which is like a co-op survival kind of RPG built, you know, essentially like an immersive sim, like we were talking about earlier. It kind of reminds me of that in the same way of like Mountain Blade. It has something similar to Mountain Blade, but I just think that once Mountain Blade gets co-op right or gets, you know, persistent servers right in their newest game that still isn't coming out for who knows how long <laughs> at this point, um, that one could eclipse this game quite easily. So I'm seeing a lot of like similarities between those. And I think it's a good thing for the market overall. But I think that Mountain Blade, uh, if Mountain Blade can pull a similar system off like that, it's going to be able to do it much better because I think its combat system is much better. Uh, and also its world is much better for building lore. And I mean, look at that. There's so many mods in that game. You can play Star Wars mods, you can play Game of Thrones mods. You can play, play Lord of the Rings mods, uh, ancient like uh, kingdoms and like different historical battles and stuff like that. The Crusades, like there's so many mods in Mountain Blade that you can do that completely change your experience. And so I like Outward from the sense that it's similar to that but I'd like more ability to actually affect your world, like in Mountain Blade. Um, all right, it looks like that's the majority of the questions. Uh, final call for questions. I'll give you guys um, 12 more minutes to ask those questions. One thing I wanted to point out to you guys is I told you that last week we had planned to put out the Patreon video. It kind of hit a snag because uh, my editor currently, he had a roommate when he was living in London and his roommate kind of like abandoned him basically. So he had to like move back to uh, his mom's place and like outside of the city, you know, kind of in the country. And so he had to go through that whole moving thing. And basically it means that um, he wasn't able to finish the video this week. And instead of taking another week to, to work on it, I figured I, I'll just finish the secret world. That way we can put out the Secret World on schedule and not miss that. So Secret World should be coming out next Monday um, or Tuesday the latest. But I will keep you guys updated along the way. And then following that video, the next week should be the Patreon. Um, an update on the video that I've been working on personally, the Kickstarter MMO report card. I'll just show you. I've showed it to you before, but I'll show you how much I've worked on now. <laughs> it started as like, I'm just going to do a little bit of a re report card just talking about you know, different Kickstarters and grading them on these arbitrary, like, measures. And then I was like, oh, whoops, that's 9,000 words. <laughs> it's, uh, it ended up being a video where I just talk about uh, Kickstarters. What is crowdfunding? Why is it good and bad? The different grades. 
And then I talked about games that are not released. Camelot Unchained, my grade of Camelot Unchained, Unchained uh, Crowfall, Star Citizen, Ashes of Creation, Chronicles of Illyria. Um, which else? Did I miss anything? Are all the ones... Are those all the ones that I covered? Pantheon Rise of the Fallen, I also covered that one. Um, and then I had some honorable mentions, City of Titans, Fractured, uh, Guns of Icarus Online. And then I also talked about Project Gorgon, though it's not technically a Kickstarter. Uh, and then we had released MMOs. I decided if I'm going to do the unreleased ones, why not do the released ones that were released on Kickstarter? So, of course, I went down and did that. We had Pathfinder Online, with, which kind of kind of creepy because we were just talking about it but uh pathfinder online um my opinions on that and kind of like a little bit of data on that one shroud of the avatar of course that's a very interesting story that's probably going to get its own special video someday um elite dangerous we talked about that one and then finally the last one is hex shards of fate so these are all the games that i've talked about in this video and as you can see it's mostly condensed thoughts of like the questions for games that are yet to launch are pretty simple. Or sorry, for games that have launched are simple. What's my opinion? I rate, I rate it out of four. Um, did they fulfill promises to their backers? And how is the game received? That's kind of the, the metrics for that one. For non-completed games, the metric is uh, did they meet their promise launch? Did they meet their funding goals? Are they fulfilling promises to backers? And then what's my opinion of the project? And um, Actually, I forgot to add this one up there. I also did what stage the game is in. <laughs> there we go. Ultimately, these ratings that I gave them based on GPA scores don't really matter. They're arbitrary. But I figured that um, it, people would find it funny that it's like basically like a MMO report card <laughs> of me just grading them on this arbitrary kind of like report card criteria. But anyway... Do you think that the non-combat-centered MMOs could work, like, say, MMO with stealth as, it, as its primary mechanic? Stealth, I find hard to believe. A non-combat-centric MMO? I mean, it's already been done. Like, Galaxies had painters, crafters, doctors, a beastmaster. It had other roles that you didn't need to actually fight to do. Like, you could just... I don't know, uh, take a Rancor and try and make a mutation of it. You don't fight with the Rancor. You sell it, maybe. But you're just trying to make pets. Or maybe you just like playing instruments. So there's other things. I mean, Lord of the Rings has the instrument thing, too. But I think it's hard, and you don't see it very much. Because, put it this way, and I'll end on this. In a theme park game that's almost completely reliant on developer-made content, what another playstyle means is another branch of content. So like, think of it this way, in in WoW or a typical kind of like a theme park game like Elder Scrolls Online, any any one of those games that comes in mind, Final Fantasy fourteen, if they want to release like a non-combat role, it has to feel as if it's as rewarding as a combat role is, meaning that it literally has to be developed like it's another class. And so when you think about it from that perspective, it means that like, for a theme park game to do things like that, they'd have to put a lot of time and developer, you know, work and resources into, and they don't even know if it's going to pay off. So 
it's very unlikely that you'll see those sorts of games really attempt something like that. But a sandbox game can get away with it because ultimately the sandbox game is the tools, right? The game itself is the tools. It doesn't mean that the world should be non-existent like a majority of sandbox games are. Unfortunately, the world is like devoid of life, but uh, it just means that the tools are ultimately why we're there. Like we want to play in a sandbox because of the tools, <laughs> not, not because of the sand, if you will. Um, it's just sand, right? We have to make our own castles. We don't have pre-built castles. So I, I think it makes more sense in those games because you're not really creating a new like content branch. You're more so just creating another like role or profession, which can then be used to be involved in the world. Like say, for example, an entertainer in Star Wars Galaxies, you might ask, well, if that came out in WoW, like how could it be useful? Well, they'd have to make it a combat class, right? Because otherwise it, know, it wouldn't really work. But why does it work in Galaxies? Because you need its buffs, because uh, it's a big part of the, the show and the, and the world itself, entertainers are, right? You need, you need their buffs, uh, you need their XP boof, uh, buff, which is a huge boost. And then you also, part of the lore, right? And it's also, for an RP community, having an entertainer that dances or plays an instrument makes sense, right? It's, it's pretty much needed for RP. The majority of the time that you want to have you know, some Twilic girl sitting up on top of a uh, a strip pole, you you want that to be a dancer, an entertainer, not just like, I don't know, not Jabba. Like, you don't want Jabba the Hutt sitting up there. You want someone that can dance and, like, make it fun. So, like, my point is, is that in the community or the world, if you will, itself, it's it's needed. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a reason to be an entertainer other than just, like, fighting. But in theme park games, oftentimes... Fighting is pretty much the only thing that matters. So if you don't fight, you kind of aren't really a real class or a play style. All right, a couple more, a couple more questions, and I'll I'll finish it off. What is your favorite indie game? Do you play them? Yeah, of course, I love indie games um, because right now that's where all the innovations happening. So I would probably say my favorite indie MMO right now is between. Grenskreia and um, and probably mm, I'd say Grenskreia and you know what I'll say Project Gorgon I think those are two of my, my favorite kind of indie MMOs right now that I've played so far but that's mainly because most of the Kickstarter ones aren't really playable yet um, as for uh, indie RPGs hmm I'd probably say Finding Paradise is pretty good. Um, to the Moon as well. If you've heard of those games, they're made on RPG Maker. Uh, those are amazing RPGs that are uh, made by indie teams of like five people. Um, I liked Shovel Knight. And th th those are the main ones I can think of right now. If you want to count uh, El Dorito as an indie game, I've been playing a lot of uh, Halo. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, those are a couple of the ones I can think of off the top of my head. What do you think about the old Nexon MMOs? Mab Mabingoy? I, I never knew how you pronounce that name. Mabingoy? Maple Story, back in their prime years. Do you think they were very well executed MMOs for the time? I mean, it's hard to say that they're not, you know, because they worked for such a long time and worked effectively. I just don't think that they... I was necessarily their target audience, so... 
I don't know if my opinion necessarily really matters um, as those sorts of games have never really appealed to me as much because um, I didn't mind avatar type games. Like I played Habbo Hotel as a kid, but it was mainly because it was social. Whereas like with MapleStory, I don't know, whenever something tries to do combat, for me, it has to be done well. Otherwise, I'd just rather not even do it, period. So it's like I'd rather play sec- um, the secret um, secret world. <laughs> I'm looking at my script. I'd rather play the second life that doesn't have combat than play a game that has combat, but it's like shitty, basically. I was going to say, I don't know if it's Mabingoy, uh, Mabinoji. Yeah, I don't know. They're, they're, those games aren't for me, but I definitely think that they're well crafted. Same thing with Ragnarok Online. That one doesn't get as much hoopla because it was like older and then also not as popular. But Ragnarok Online, um, Mabinoji, and then Maple Story are probably like the biggest ones I can think of of that style. And as Germatu knows, um, they're pretty successful. So yeah, I would say largely like they were good for the time. Hey, what's up, Omar uh, XZ11? All right, I think that's just about the end of the questions. Um, I want to thank everybody for stopping by and watching the podcast today. It's always nice to have you guys here and have all these interesting MMO topics to talk about. I'll be working on uh, those videos that I mentioned to you guys as fast as I can, and I'll probably update on Discord as well. That way, everybody um, who wasn't here live also knows what the plan is currently. Um, I hope next week has a little bit more interesting regular gaming news, but uh, it's going to be hard to beat this week's of, or this week of uh, MMO news because it was pretty good. So We'll see, but that's the cool thing about MMOs is there's always news happening every single week. So anyway, thank you guys for stopping by and watching the podcast. This was episode seven. Talked about a lot of things. We talked about artifacts. We talked about um, the Outer Worlds. We talked about the possibility of an EverQuest 3 and a whole lot of other topics. So. Um, yeah, I'll see you guys later and um, stay curious. Like the remix is like, oh, it's about to start. Oh, no. One last tip.